Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Luke chapter 6 through 7. Rabbit Trails Luke 6 verses 1 through 5. Again, it is important to note that just because we read of someone saying something is against the law does not mean that it is so, as is the case in our reading today. Remember that often in the Gospels and letters, we're dealing with dueling laws, two sets of laws, one being man-made and one being Yahweh's law. We are expected to know Yahweh's law so that we will know when someone is speaking truth or not. Now, this used to be a given. But in a time in which so many believers are biblically illiterate, this expected wisdom has fallen to the wayside. As a result, legions of believers take the Pharisees' word over Yahweh's word when it comes to this passage and then use that to accuse Messiah of breaking Sabbath. So we take the Pharisees' word over the Father's word and then accuse Messiah of sinning. Wow. This is a clear case of not knowing or understanding the foundational scriptures of the Bible. Remember, a house is built foundation first. You cannot build a house by beginning with the attic. Luke 6, 5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Greek word used here is kurios, and it means someone who has ownership rights. Messiah was correcting their abuse of the Sabbath and teaching them how the Father views it. Messiah being Lord of the Sabbath in no way changes it, but if we were to approach it from the viewpoint of a Pharisee, seeing it as a day not to lift a finger to help a person or save a life, then Messiah being Lord of the Sabbath should change our view. In addition to that, Messiah being Lord of us should cause us to honor the Sabbath all the more. I've written an article on what it means to keep Sabbath and different ways folks do that, so click here if you'd like to read it. In the meantime, I want to encourage you with this. We do the best we can with what we know, and once we know better, we do better. Side note, I want to remind you that headings and titles of sections in our Bible were not part of the original manuscripts. I need to point this out as some headings can be misleading. Moving on, Luke 6.13 says, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Did you catch that? Many people were following Messiah up until this point, and this is where he chose twelve from among the many. Now, this is a pattern of Yahweh, and we could spend days talking over how or why the twelve were chosen and how this can relate to us today. But I'm going to leave this one for you to seek out. Simon the Zealot most folks think this is merely describing Simon as a man who was very passionate for the faith. But zealot is actually a title that lets folks know which sect of Judaism Simon belonged to. We've talked about the main three sects of Judaism at this time, Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes. I'm totally an Essene in this world. If you read my notes on that, you'll know what I mean. But we haven't discussed the fourth sect, 
the Zealots. So today, I'm going to briefly discuss this group. The Zealots were Jews, but they did not follow the religious leaders of their time. They were known as very aggressive and militaristic in their views, and their primary goal was to rebel against Roman rule. They were so passionate for this cause that a smaller group of zealots earned the nickname Dagger Men because they would carry hidden daggers under their clothes and kill those Jews who openly opposed their call for war against Rome. Now, some ancient documents state that they even destroyed decades of food storage once Jerusalem was besieged in order to drive their Jewish brethren to desperation so that they would fight the Romans. So, when the text refers to Simon as a zealot, we're actually given a lot more information here than we realize. Luke 16 tells us all the people were trying to touch him because healing power, that's in brackets healing, was coming from him and healing them all. Power was coming from him and healing all. I just wanted to remind you that it still does today. Moving on to Luke six twenty-seven, verse 36. Let's read that. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Conviction warning ahead. We need to be careful never to read the Bible as if it's talking to someone else. With that in mind, I'd like to offer a suggestion on how to better apply this to ourselves today. If you are a person who is passionate about politics, Consider this a directive to love the spokesperson of the political party opposing yours. No, I'm not talking about a placating, well, of course I love them statement. I'm talking about looking at that person's face and actually feeling real, sincere love for them. Think of their children, their spouses, their grandchildren. If they don't have any, think of their future grandchildren. Research the good they have done in the world, and if you can't find any, consider that you might be blinded due to bias, and research again. If that don't convict you and step on your toes, I'm afraid not much will. Note, this is not an invitation to discuss politics in the group. Political posts will be deleted, so this is something to contemplate silently, on your own, or talk out with your dog, cat, or spouse if you have that opportunity. It does make for a heart-stretching conversation. 
This is also not a political statement of any kind on my part, nor is it an endorsement or condemnation of any political party. This is something I personally struggle mightily with, as I am deeply grieved in my spirit at the manner in which politics has caused us to leave the fruits of the spirit and cling to the fruits of the flesh. Remember, Yahweh loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. My close friends know how I struggle with this, and I am deeply appreciative of them avoiding this topic with me. We spend all our time talking about the Word and how good the Father is instead. After all, at the end of the day, I only hold secondary citizenship here. I'm not of this world. I'm just someone who has to tread water in this pool until the lifeguard comes back and opens up the party room. Mark 6, verses 35-38 Those of you who have been with me a while know that I take seriously the Father's wisdom to be prudent when it comes to preparing for the future. As part of that, I actively prepare, store away food for long term, and try to make the most of our resources. Of course, I have some amount of long-term food storage that consists of cases of number 10 cans of dehydrated or freeze-dried foods. Over the years, I've purchased these from several different sources, and I include them in part of my regular food rotation. Most cans, when opened, yield a half or three-quarters of a can. This is understandable as the food settles over time and travel. There is one source which, whenever I open the cans, the food is usually within one inch of the top. It is as if they fill the can, shake it a bit to let it settle, fill it some more, shake it some more, and fill it again before sealing. Now, the crazy thing is, this source charges less than half of what everyone else charges for the same items. And this is exactly what comes to mind when I read the following passage in Luke 6, verses 37 through 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Those cans of food I have can easily represent grace. The world's version of grace charges us twice as much and gives us just enough to get by. Never, ever enough. It is fleeting. Yahweh's grace is packed down, shaken, filled up again, and he offers free refills to those who are seeking to follow him too. We do rely on that grace. But as quick as we are to ask for it from Him, we need to be just as quick to give it to others. Remember, we can't know where anyone is on their walk. They could be a freshly planted seed, a newly surfaced sprout, or a tree about to bear fruit. Only the Father knows what stage they're in. If we treat others in a manner in line with the fruits of the Spirit, we are sure to leave them better than when we found them. Now, the world would have us treat others in line with the fruits of the flesh, and to succumb to that is to risk poisoning the work of our Father. Luke 6, verses 43 through 45, challenge time. I haven't issued a challenge in a while, so today is your day. 
These verses are vital for self-inventory, which I think every believer should do daily. And so I want to challenge you to write these verses down on a card or piece of paper and tuck it into your Bible to reference whenever possible. If you take this challenge, please post a photo of your writing in the group comments. Mine is pictured below. How do we build our house on the rock? Luke 6, verses 46 through 49, tells us, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. May we be hearers and doers of the word today. We've covered much of what is shared in chapter 7 of Luke already, and I leave you to the wonderful parable shared by Messiah in Luke 7:41 through 50. Let all who have eyes to see, see, and ears to hear, hear, and let us sinners fall down at Messiah's feet, loving him with our whole hearts and loving one another as he has loved us. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of his word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.